I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-minute parenting series of books. Welcome to my 15-minute parenting podcast, where I take a common parenting struggle and break it down with practical, playful solutions. Let's get going. Today, I really wanted to talk about social anxiety, largely social anxiety as it might be presenting in our children, but also just as I'm talking about this, being aware of what it activates and triggers in us and what level of the social anxiety we might symptoms that we might see in our children may also be something that they are acting out of or picking up from our own hesitancies and even full-blown social anxieties. When I think about this and you know I don't have a particular question to frame this because actually so many questions on this have come in. In fact I, I would assert that in the last 10 weeks or so I'm hearing from a parent about some degree of social anxiety symptoms in their children on almost a daily basis. And it's featuring on many of the, my, you know, my weekly parent show um, on News Talk FM, Sean Moncrief show, which is every Wednesday on News Talk just after the three o'clock news. I mean, almost weekly on that, we have at least one question that contains something about social anxiety. So this is this is really prevalent at the moment. And I thought, you know, the best way to address it in a generalized way was to speak about it here. And I hope that it's helpful for those of you who are grappling with this in your parent child relationship or in how you can approach this with your children. You know, sometimes I'm aware that parents are making contact, asking about social anxiety, but describing something that is more like a separation anxiety or indeed sometimes a generalized anxiety that happens to be manifesting in social situations. Like separation anxiety is an anxiety that emerges specifically around the point of separation from parents and a high emotional charge around the idea of being separated from or apart from you. Generalized anxiety is something that is pervasive. It's not context specific and is there more often than it's not and would have an impact on all areas of my life if I'm at home with you or if I'm out away from you. I mean, it might be more pronounced when I'm away from you, but it wouldn't be only in that context is my point. And social anxiety is, you know, that heightened fear of social situations, you know, any kind of a situation that's going to place me in contact with other people. I might also fear that other people are going to judge and reject me. And based on that perception and that fear based perception in particular, I will then avoid social situations. Now, of course, that's going to affect many aspects of my life, such as classroom participation, going to parties, participating in hobbies, any extracurricular activities, you know, basically anywhere that I have to interact with groups of people. And there are some particular things that you can do to gently yet firmly encourage your child. And please notice my emphasis on the word encourage because that is not forcing them, never force them to do something. This is about praising effort over outcome and really encouraging them to push themselves a little, not a lot, but a little each time just further out of that comfort zone or, you know, is it even a comfort zone? Maybe it's just a slightly less discomfort zone, but we want them to acquire the skills gradually 
That's how they will last. They'll embed them. They'll integrate them if they do it gradually. And we want that so they can cope with social situations and build up to, you know, not just coping or tolerating, but actually to enjoying them and to discovering that social engagement is a fun and pleasurable thing to do because then they're much more likely to stick at it. One of the reasons that I think social anxiety is so pronounced at the moment is, of course, connected with the pandemic and the associated social restrictions and fear that those have brought with them. You know, we we made we adults, we the grown ups in society, you know, collectively is that that collective we we made significant changes with good bases now good solid bases I must add but we made these changes to how our children and young people socialized and you know when we make significant changes to how children and teens play and socially engage we should anticipate significant social impact up to and including a spike in social anxiety. So what we are seeing certainly correlates with that. This is likely more pronounced in our teens and children who were already vulnerable to anxiety prior to the pandemic. You know, all of a sudden they lost access to both formal and informal supports from, you know, psychotherapy or play therapy appointments to school, to friends, to hobbies. You know, everything that they had going on that was their social scaffolding was suddenly taken away from them. Moreover, you know, as I've and I have stated this actually in previous episodes where I discussed anxiety and particularly that episode, you can go back through the archives on adolescence as an age of anxiety, um, you know, when we talk about that, we, we we can't reassure them as to how long, you know, this loss is going to continue, this disruption to their social patterns, to their peer interactions, because we just don't know. And that has been something we parents have grappled with as well. Like there's nothing more reassuring to us as parents than the fact that we can reassure our children. And we've been denied that opportunity to reassure them. So it's like watching your child struggle and saying, well, I can't give you the reassurance that you're craving and that you seem to need. And this state of not knowing has increased anxiety levels for many of us adults as well, especially, you know, and in particular seeing our kids struggle and we're very limited on what we are able to do to support and help them. You know, I saw something very recently on social media. It was a photo from somebody's workplace as people were returning to the physical workplace and they had three boxes with different colored lanyards you know those little lanyard things you wear around your neck to attach your work ID to and each color stated something about your individual preference for example the green color meant that you were open to physical contact like hugs or high fives the red lanyard meant that you were keeping your social distance and basically was cueing people to respect your boundaries and maintain a social distance from you and the other one was an orange one I was interested they were red green and orange you know following a traffic light system of go stop stand by but the orange one meant that you were okay with talking to people but not physically touching and I've seen this image 
you know, I saw it initially posted by someone and since then reposted on numerous timelines with people openly identifying which coloured lanyard was would be their social preference and why. So people going, oh, my goodness, you know, I was never a green. At best, I was orange, but I'm going back full blown red and having that language and vernacular. But as adults being able to say, we need to be able to structure our boundaries and be able to feel comfortable as we socially re-engage and return to the workplace. And, you know, I thought there's I mean, goodness, look, we could talk about that for a whole episode because there's a lot in there and a lot of it is very, very good. But it brought to my mind immediately the fact that our kids didn't get colored coded lanyards as we dropped them back to school. They were told this is great. This is what you want. This is what you need. All is fine. And for many kids, this was thankfully an accurate assessment or, you know, maybe they had a a mild wobble for a few weeks, but ultimately adjusted and settled quite quickly. But for others, it just wasn't fine. And the rumblings of uh uh-oh feelings became anxiety. And that really amplified within the dramatically increased social setting. You know, they went from no time with their friends to a full school day with all of their friends, you know, pretty much all at once. And now we may be seeing that manifest into an overt expression of more social anxiety. So if your child falls into the cohort of children or teenagers who are struggling with social anxiety, now is the time to increase their formal and informal support system in anticipation of returning to school and what they will need then. For example, you know, what do I mean by increase their support system? Seek a referral to a suitably qualified psychotherapist or play therapist, depending on your child's age or stage of development. You can do so um, by looking up some of these accredited organizations like the ICP, the Irish Council of Psychotherapy or equivalent if you're listening to this from another country or equally you could seek a referral via your GP or child and adolescent mental health services. So you could do that. You could also see what kind of summer camps, activity camps, social gatherings are available in your area right now because they will be adhering to limited numbers or a pod system and it may be a nice safer way for your child to be begin to broaden their social circle without feeling completely overwhelmed and also consider controlled and obviously within guidelines gatherings in your garden if you have a garden or a green area near you whereby your child can have a couple of peers over and begin to ease themselves into those social settings you know I would also strongly advocate letting your school know that your child or teenager is having some challenges and they will benefit from access to any therapeutic supports the school may be able to make available or simply making the teacher, principal or year head, depending on the age of your child, just making them aware that your child is one of the children who will need extra support and just somebody keeping a careful, watchful eye out for them as they adjust back into school, that they're having some emotional wobbles and schools can do something once they're aware of that. So I think that's a really helpful thing to do for you and your child, but also the school, certainly. You can also listen back to the previous episode, as I mentioned, you know, on adolescence and anxiety, where I include, you know, a number of playful techniques that are designed to empower children and teenagers to be able to contain anxiety when away from us in school and until they're back to to us. I talked in that episode about a number of quick, less than one minute, you know, activities and exercises that you can do in a bathroom cubicle, you know, that would just help release tension in the now moments. You know, but in thinking about this, it's important to flag that 
social anxiety existed and still exists outside of the parameters of the pandemic. You know, indeed, some young people I work with reported finding the pandemic lockdown helpful to them as suddenly their social avoidance was legitimized, you know, and indeed it served them well and others well. So they were like, oh, this is great. You know, I don't have to mix with others. I can just stay in my home, stay in my room and actually get praised for doing so. And some report having thrived under those restrictions and the home based schooling conditions. But now they're experiencing a resurgence or a spike in symptoms as they're trying to readjust to our very social world. And it is important to hold in mind that our world by default is a social one and it is socially structured and socially organized. So when you have social anxiety, you know, be you a child, a teenager or an adult, it's very, very difficult to manage that within our culture. And social anxiety can present in the form of, you know, extreme shyness or withdrawal or, you know, physical trembling or blushing, even nausea or stomach upset. You know, many children or teens who are presenting with this social anxiety They may have, you know, little to no friends, um, experience extreme difficulty participating in groups, meaning that they're denied opportunities for full social engagement and participation within their peer group. And that then can affect their capacity to fully enjoy life. And now that said, it's not always something you can see straight away. You know, I recall one teenager I was working with who had struggled with social anxiety from when they were eight years old. And I think they were about 14 or 15 when I was seeing them. And that's quite a long time to be coping with this. And they were telling me that no one really noticed as they assumed, oh, they're just shy or quiet. And they had actually overheard some classmates saying, oh, so-and-so has a speech impediment. That's why they don't like speaking in class. And the others going, oh, that makes sense. Okay, and just leaving it. And this teen was not shy. And shy, by the way, is not something that we psychopathologize. Shyness is not a problem. You know, lots of people who are shy as personality types are very social and have friends and are very happy within their lives. So we do not pathologize shyness unless it's in that very extreme way that I've already mentioned. Nor, however, did they have a speech impediment, but they did have a level of dread when when in social situations that only eased when in the sanctity of their own bedroom at home. And because it was so difficult to see this for the problem it was, this young person had experienced it for years before they were referred to any kind of mental health services. And it's also because children who have social anxiety often present, you know, in terms of overt behavior as quiet, obedient when they're in preschool or school. And those are behaviors that certainly do not concern, you know, educators, parents, you know, hey, my child is so quiet and obedient. This must be a problem. Isn't something you hear very often. Um, But when your teenager is very compliant and quiet and shut down, that tends to become a concern. And so these children can often and go below the radar for many, many years, even though they are struggling. They're just learning to live with the struggle or survive with the struggle. You know, they may not even talk about their fears or worries as they're actually experiencing them and may shrug, you know, say, oh, nothing, I don't know, or minimize or dismiss what's going on. So 
planning ahead, prepare your child for situations that are going to make them feel worried or fearful. Play out the situation at home, practice things they can do to make it easier and use that technique. I mentioned this in my first um, book, The Zero to Seven Years, about story stemming. When you play out the beginning of a story, you can either do it verbally, depending on the age of your child, or play it out with little mini, you know, Playmobil or Dolls House characters and then pause and say now you tell me how it finishes and your child picks up the dolls or the miniatures and plays out the end of the story and that helps us to see how they envisage things going and then we can think and talk about that together. You could also play the detective game you know for example if your child thinks that everyone is going to laugh at them if they speak aloud in class resist rushing to reassurance you know using minimization and dismissing because it just doesn't work but instead get them to ask questions like okay what clues do you have that this is the case or I wonder what else could be possible instead of that you could also share appropriate stories about times you have felt anxious in social situations things that you found helped you you know don't pick your most you know socially anxious examples pick something that is developmentally relatable and appropriate Maybe consider a transitional object, you know, something like a small, smooth stone that they can keep in their pocket and they could touch or rub when they begin to feel anxious or are called upon to speak in class. You could also ring fence some, you know, for want of a better phrase, anxiety time at home before bed, a good hour before bed so that, you know, they're not literally carrying that into their sleep. And maybe set 15 minutes that you're going to talk about the biggest worries of the day and the smaller worries too, and then follow up with 15 minutes of fun ideally laughter inducing play because laughter is a great way of letting go of any residual tension we might physically be holding on to your child is also going to feel that you understand and support them when you're doing this because you're saying hey this is serious and I can help you manage it it will also lay the groundwork should you need to refer your child though to a mental health professional who would typically approach them in a similar way of blending talking with doing you know the practical play-based creative doing in the therapy room and get outside and move physically move each day with your child I like the bird practice that we go for a walk and because worries can begin to ruminate if we're walking alone or even if we're walking together and talking that we agree we're going to stop every time we hear a bird and just say I hear a bird because it brings us back into the now moment and it grounds us you could also play a song any old song will do and dance the moodies away Playing something like head, shoulders, knees and toes or a build a rhythm, you know, where you clap, they clap and click, you clap, click and slap your legs and you keep repeating this rhythm and building it until you have four or six parts to it. Because all of that rhythm and synchrony is going to trigger those subsystems of the brain associated with emotional regulation. The big thing is just don't tell me things will be okay. Show me. Accept that my anxiety is my truth right now and I don't need you to tell me that it's not real or it's just in my head. I know that. It just doesn't help me at all to know that. It's better that you can acknowledge, accept and empathize what's going on for me. You know, exhale with me and take my hand as you say, I'm so sorry that this is hard for you, but I'm so glad that you could tell me about it. You're not alone. I'm here with you and together we will work a way through this because feeling felt, you know, getting gotten that sense of true connection and that somebody really understands me is what is so helpful in this. It alone won't cure my social anxiety, but it certainly helps to steady that bridge of trust between us so that I can take chances knowing that you have my back. 
So give that a go. And I really hope it helps. These are difficult times we're living in. And, you know, sometimes these small changes can make a big difference. Thank you for listening. I'd love if you could leave a positive review, share this with a friend or a few friends, or even subscribe to the podcast. It really helps others to find it and helps with visibility online. You can also follow me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune or on Twitter at the Joanna Fortune. No E at the end of that. Tune in next time for more 15-minute parenting.